Oh, good morning. Nice to see you all. My name is Ruth Silka, if we've never met before. I am one of the members of the teaching team, and I am honored to be with you this morning as we continue in our series in Acts. But before we pick up where we have let, uh, left off and where we just, and what we just read, I want to invite you back with me in time, okay? So I'm going to bring you back with me to a date that feels like it was decades ago. February 19th, 2020, okay? So it was a sunny Wednesday mor- afternoon, and a sunny day, and I was on my way to meet up with two friends with whom I share one very important thing. We are all huge fans of the TV show Friends. And by huge fans, I mean we could beat anyone in a Friends trivia game, guaranteed. All right? But we uh, were headed up to uh, San Francisco this day, our mutual love of this a 90s and early 2000s sitcom took us to a pop-up in San Francisco. We got to tour a recreation of the set, see cool memorabilia, and even tried our hand at singing the famous Smelly Cat song in a recording booth. Now, as I look back on this day, I, I am jealous at the freedom of a pre-COVID world. But beyond the fun experience of a favorite TV show pop-up, what I remember most about that day was lots of laughing, catching up on life, and simply just enjoying what real life-on-life community looks like. And I also, in that moment, was so blessed by the fact that I was the one who got invited to this situation, to this outing. I was the one who got to be an invited participant. I didn't plan it. I just got to come along for the ride. And it was something that was so impactful and such a gift to be able to experience this real-life-on-life community together. I got to benefit from the community that God had blessed me with. And I had a blast that day. Now, our world has turned upside down since February 19th, 2020. And over the past two years, we've been in a collective state of struggle. And this week has just added to the weight the world is currently feeling. And while we mourn the sinfulness and the hate in the world, we know that this world is not our final home. But as we grieve and pray and mourn and question why, it's important for us to remember where our hope does come from. The question I've been asking myself are these. Am I putting my hope in things of this world? Am I building a foundation on the fading things or people of this world? Or am I building my foundation on Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross? This morning, we're going to be looking at this idea of a foundation. 
and why it is so vitally important for us to build our foundation on the never-changing, never-failing, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, completely in control, creator of all things, our God. Our scripture this morning picks up in the middle of a miraculous story of healing. And in the beginning of chapter 3, we're going to review just a little bit. This is the teacher in me. I always make my students review the lecture I just gave the, the day before or the, you know, a couple days before. But it's important because it's going to give us some context, all right? So in the beginning of chapter 3, we witness Peter and John's interaction with a lame man who would beg daily at the temple gate called Beautiful. And this man was looking for worldly things to bring him comfort. But Peter and John offered him something far better. They offered him healing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as chapter 3 closes out, we read Peter's message to the onlookers. And our story is going to pick up in the middle of, of this message. And Peter's once again pointing out the fact that God the Father sent Jesus to this earth as Messiah and how these days had been foretold by the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. Peter reminds the people once again in Acts 3.15 that they killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And and that lame beggar, he was healed by faith. Acts 3.16 says this, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter's giving testament to this incredible miracle. He's saying, look, here's your proof. This man is no longer lame. We read a few weeks ago about how he was jumping and leaping for joy from this miracle that he experienced. He had encountered the power of Jesus. So our verses this morning pick up as Peter and John are continuing to speak to the onlookers, like I mentioned. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priest and the uh, captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So Peter and John are approached by some powerful people while they're speaking to this crowd. And let's give us a little rundown of all of these people that are at play. All right, we just listed a whole bunch of different people, and it's important for us to have a little bit of an understanding of who they are, but then also why were they so disturbed? So, okay, the first, the priests. They who were, they were often members of the high priest family, and they had special influence within the Sanhedrin. And the captain of the temple guard was the leader of the guards who were stationed around the temple to ensure order. 
Okay, so think about, you know, the people who keep the peace. Have you ever been to like, I'm thinking, you know, like the people you see when you're at a concert, right? They're, They're stationed all around keeping things in order. And then the Sadducees were members of a Jewish religious sect that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And this small but very powerful group stood to benefit financially from the Roman government and they were highly influential. And most of the people who had planned and carried out the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus were from these three groups. So it gives us a little bit of understanding and the power which they all held. So the Sadducees moved in quickly to investigate what was going on since they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were very disturbed, and since they did not believe this, they were very disturbed by what the apostles were saying and teaching to the crowd. All right, let's pick back up again in Acts 4.3. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So even though the nation was under Roman control and rule, the Sadducees had almost unlimited power over the temple grounds and therefore were able to arrest Peter and John for no other reason than teaching something that contradicted what they believed. But even in spite of their effort, and in spite of the arrest of the apostles, we read this in Acts 4.4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's incredible. Because even with this power flex by those three powerful groups of men, God is, is and was, he was moving among the people. And Peter and John are proclaiming the truth and pointing out the fact that the people put Jesus to death, but death could not hold him. And he defeated death by rising again. And since the the slain beggar that we've been reading about had faith, he was healed through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. So these two men, Peter and John, They had just been used in an incredibly miraculous way. And they could not hold back the truth of how Jesus had changed them and the beggar. We're going to see some holy boldness from these two men throughout our verses today. And we're going to witness these two ordinary men proclaim what they knew and understood about their Savior. Our Savior. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So, to kind of pick back up with our story, Peter and John have to spend the night in jail. They have been arrested for proclaiming the truth that contradicted with some powerful men. But we'll see as we keep reading that even a night in jail did not stop them. They were changed men. And they could not help but proclaim this Jesus that they had been with. So let's pick uh, pick back up in Acts 4, verse 5. We're going to start in verse 5. 
The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Verse 6. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. So once again, Peter and John are about to be in the presence of some very powerful men. This group of men made up the Jewish high council, or what is known as the Sanhedrin. And it was the same council that had condemned Jesus to death. These were wealthy, powerful, intellectual men. And Peter and John were about to be called before the same group of men that Jesus had stood before. Let's start back again in verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them, the Sanhedrin, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So the apostles are questioned about their authority and where their authority comes from. But let's see Peter's response, starting in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter is boldly proclaiming the truth of what happened the day before. And filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter is declaring the truth of the gospel. These men had put Jesus to death, but God in his mighty power and perfect plan raised Jesus from the dead. And it was through this same power that raised Jesus from the dead that the man who was once lame now stood before them, healed. There is power in the name of Jesus. Peter and John knew this because they had been with Jesus. And they could not be silenced about how their lives had been changed. They had been with Jesus and they were changed. They were different. And they understood the power that is in the name of Jesus. Peter continues on with his proclamation in verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Peter is quoting Psalms 118 verse 22 here, which states the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we can also see this idea of the cornerstone in Isaiah 28, 16 which that will be on the screen so you can read it with me. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a, a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. The end of that verse hit me this week, I think a little differently than it ever has before. The importance of a sure foundation 
and that we will never be stricken with panic. A cornerstone is a vitally important piece of any building. When we think of it from biblical times, they would use huge, huge stones to build up the foundation of a building in which they were working on. So if you are building anything, you need a firm foundation or the building will crumble and not be sound. So I'm married to a carpenter, so basically this makes me a master builder. Okay? I mean, if he can claim part of my master's degree in communication studies, I think I should get to uh, claim some of his building skills. Which, I'm just kidding, I really, I can't build anything. Thank goodness for Kyle. Uh, I don't even thrive, like, in the world of Ikea, because there's too many directions <laughs> and pieces, and I really hate reading directions. So... Thank goodness for him. Every picture in our house would not be straight if it weren't for him either. But anyway, let's keep going. Uh, I did, however, even though I'm not a master builder, have a very reliable source to ask about this idea of a cornerstone and the importance of it or of a firm foundation. So while the term cornerstone isn't used in modern building terminology anymore, the importance of the stone is mirrored in the importance of a strong foundation. While things like concrete and reinforced steel are used today, the key is that the foundation is what pulls the entire building together. Every piece of a building ties back into the foundation. Even the highest floors of a skyscraper are still tied back down into the foundation. So we can see the importance of a solid foundation or a cornerstone. Without it, a building, or in the case of what Isaiah is talking about, our lives will crumble. The verse in Isaiah was prophesying of the coming Messiah and how Jesus would be the foundations our lives should be built on. So what is our foundation built on? Jesus? Our own successes? Things of this world? Okay, so you remember my day in San Francisco at the TV show Pop-Up? You may be wondering, why did I tell you a story about that? Well, many times in my life, I believe I've built my foundation on things other than Jesus. Things like being a really good friend or wanting to be included in things. I mean, my, my name, Ruth, do you know what it actually means? It means friend. And there have been far too many times in my life where I have placed too much importance on being the best gatherer of my friends or the best party thrower for my friends. Which, I mean, these are all things I love, but the problem comes in when they begin to be what my identity starts to lie in and what my foundation starts to be built on. Because if I'm doing that, my foundation is going to crumble. Now, my day in San Francisco is a small, simple reminder that while community is important and we are built for community, 
I must not build my foundation on being the best friend or the gatherer of others. Instead, I need to build my foundation on Jesus. Jesus needs to be our foundation because just as I learned in the good old Sunday school song, a wise man built his house upon the rock. Does anybody know that song, All the Motions? And the rain. I was uh, singing it to my daughter as I was working this, and she's like, what are you talking about? What's that song? I was like, a oh, song from 80s and 90s. Uh, but in this song, it talks about if we build our house on the sand, that when the rain comes down and the floods come up, our house will crumble. But if we build our house on the solid rock, on Jesus Christ, when the rains and of life and the floods of life come up, when the rain comes down and the floods come up, our house will stand because it is built on a firm foundation, not on the shifting sands of things of this world that will fade, but on Jesus Christ who will stand Peter and John knew that their foundation was built on Jesus. They knew what their foundation was built on. And they had been with him. They knew him. And they could not stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter has just told this group of powerful leaders that they rejected the cornerstone Jesus. And he goes on to explain and further detail the message of the gospel. So let's pick back up in verse 12 of chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Plain and simple. Peter lays it all out there. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which we must be saved. We cannot save ourselves. Our works will never save us. Only Jesus saves us. But don't just take my word for it. Let's see what some scripture says. I'm going to power through some of these, okay? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Those are some of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's such an incredible reminder that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of anything that I can do or you can do. It is a gift, a gift of grace. We are not saved by works so no one can boast. That is what the end of that verse is telling us. It is a free gift of grace through faith. And then 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. Not because of anything that we have done. We cannot save ourselves. Our works will never ever save, will not save us. Only Jesus saves us. And because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we are set free from the chains of sin. Jesus broke the chains of sin and death when he took our rightful place on the cross, dying the death that we deserved and defeating death by rising again, and then ascending into his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father until he returns again. What a gift of grace. What an incredible cornerstone to build our lives upon. But let's see the response of the Sanhedrin in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John had a firm foundation. They had been with Jesus and it showed And we will never be able to build our foundation on Jesus without spending time with him. These men, Peter and John, they had been with Jesus. We just read in the scripture, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John were ordinary men, but they were changed men. Men who would not and could not stop talking about their Savior and how he had changed them. This verse got me thinking as I was studying for this sermon. Do people in my life take note that I have been with Jesus? Does my life reflect my time with Jesus or my lack of time with Jesus? Do people take note that I have been with him? And if I'm being really honest, I think recently it has been my lack of time with Jesus that people note. I would say for the past several months, I have been struggling in many different areas of my life. And I have felt like I have been in a constant state of letting other people down. Now, I can be really hard on myself and oftentimes lack compassion for myself. Uh, But this season was a little bit different. I began to believe that I was a failure as a wife, a mom, a friend, a leader, a teacher. And my lack of time soaking in the truth of God's word allowed the lies of the enemy to become louder and louder. Lies like, you just need to work harder. You're a failure. You can, you can do this. Push through. Ignore your feelings of hurt or pain or disappointment. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep moving. Just do better. 
Those were the things that were circling and spiraling through my head. And these thoughts had been rattling around in my brain for what felt like forever. When I decided one Monday morning to go on a hike. Now, I live in South San Jose, and we have tons of hills behind my house. So I grabbed my headphones, got my kids to school, I grabbed my headphones when I came home, I turned on some worship music, and I just started to walk. And as I walked, I started to pray. I asked the Lord to speak to my heart, to convict me of my sin, to help me process how I was feeling, and mostly to just be close. Because you see, for several months, not only had I been hearing and believing some lies, I also felt like the Lord had been silent. But as I began to walk, I was convicted of the fact that the, one of the reasons the Lord felt silent was because I was not spending time in his word and in prayer. I mean, how could I expect the Lord to be speaking to me if I wasn't regularly accessing the one, one of the ways that he speaks through his scripture and his word? And as I poured out my heart to the Lord and I shared my hurt and my frustrations and my anger and my disappointments, he began to soften my heart and this thought popped into my head. I am trying to care for everyone and everything in my life without allowing the Lord to care for me. And as I hiked higher and higher up into the foothills, I started to cry. And I'm talking like a full-blown ugly cry where I was thinking, please don't let anybody come around this corner because they're going to think something's really wrong with me. But it's the kind of cry where you can barely catch your breath. And I'm sure the fact that I was literally hiking straight up was not helping. The fact that I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. But I began to let out what had felt like months of doing my best to hold it all together in my own strength. And as this ugly cry kept bursting from my body, the song Glorious Day that we just sang came on my phone. And the chorus line of this song struck me in a way that it never had before. The song says, You called my name and I ran out of the grave of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. As I heard the words of this song, this word picture came into my mind that instead of running out of the grave, I had been running back into it. Back into the darkness of the grave instead of running into the freedom and the light found in Jesus outside of the grave. We have been given freedom from the darkness because Jesus defeated death. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, the chains of sin and shame have been broken. And we no longer have to live in the darkness of the grave. We can run into the light and the freedom and the life found in Jesus.
Now the song goes on to say that chains are a break at the weight of your glory. Jesus broke the chains. Jesus' glory broke chains, and far too often I forget about the freedom I have in Jesus. And I try to live in my own power, which just pulls me back into the darkness of the grave instead of into the light and the life that is found in Jesus. And far too often, instead of running out, I run back in. I run back to the darkness and hide from the one who offers me light and life. Into that glorious day. And in that moment, as tears were streaming down my face, I asked the Lord to help me to run into the light. Instead of running to myself, to what I can achieve based on what the world thinks is important. We act like, I think we act sometimes like what we do justifies and impacts our faith journey. And um, I get the honor of meeting with Laura, who's in the back, uh, on a very regular basis. And we met right as I was in the middle of writing this sermon. And we were talking about this idea of justification and sanctification. And she said something that struck me. We were studying the book of Galatians. And she said that sometimes we can live with the mindset that I'm justified by Christ, but my sanctification is in my own hands. And I couldn't stop thinking about that. Because we just read in in many verses that works will never save us, even though we do often rely on what we can do or should do to look like a good Christian. And the thing is, it's hard because works are measurable. We can look at our works and say, well, look look what I've done. I did this and I did that, and well, at least I'm not as bad as him, or wow, woof, she is messed up. At least I'm not that bad. I'm doing it a little bit better than her. And we measure ourselves against each other. Or we can stop and think, well, look at all these things that I've done. But the thing is, our attempt at sanctifying ourselves will never work. Because we will just make ourselves into a little bit of a better version of ourselves. But Jesus sanctifies us so that we look more like him. And it is our responsibility as believers to reflect the character of Christ to those around us because we have been with him. We have spent time with him. We know him and we have been changed by him. And far too often we allow the shoulds of life to define us. The I should look like this or I should do this or I should be better at that or I should whatever, fill in the blank. But what we need is we need the what is to define us. And what I mean by this is it's the truth of the gospel. That is what is. The truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
That salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The truth that Jesus is the one who saves, and he is the one that we need. That's what is true. So why do we run back, or at least for me, why do I run back into the grave? Why do we rely so heavily on ourselves when we have been given freedom? And I think we do this because we are sinful people who need a savior. And in order for us to see our need for a savior, we need to spend time with him. We need to be reading scripture, spending time in prayer, connecting with other believers so that we can hold one another accountable. We need to build our foundation on Jesus, the cornerstone, as we daily submit to him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Allowing him to sanctify us, to grow us, to use us, and to make us look more like him. So our lives are a witness to his changing work in our lives. We need to build our foundation on Jesus. As the scripture says, the cornerstone. So that we are reminded daily of the fact that we need him. That we need to submit to him. He is the light and the light. So much freedom is found in him. We need him to sanctify us, to grow us, to use us, and to make us look more like him. So we are a witness to his changing work. So we can see how Peter and John were changed by spending time with Jesus. And even Those that opposed them could not deny this fact. So let's pick back up again in verse 13 and just see how those in authority are going to respond to what Peter has just said. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. But since they could see the man, there was nothing they could say. They couldn't deny the fact that these men had been with Jesus. And they could not deny the fact that this this man who was once unable to walk is now fully healed. The truth of the situation was undeniable. These leaders, though, were still choosing to not believe. But they could not deny the truth. We may have people like this in our lives that see the truth but choose not to believe. But it is not our job to save anyone. It is, however, our responsibility to reflect Jesus so that others can take note that we have been with him. 
All right, let's keep reading in verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. I find it interesting that they are going to warn these men to no longer speak to anyone in this name. The name of the man that they condemned to die. But even though they couldn't deny the notable signs of healing that had taken place, they were still blinded by the concern of keeping their reputation in places of power. This powerful group of men, the Sanhedrin, were still blinded by the concern of keeping their reputation and their places of power. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What a response. Even a warning does not faze these two men. They knew what was right and were not going to be swayed by any threats. I love the response. You be the judges. What's right? Listen to you or to God. You be the judge. The thing I wonder is, do we act like this? Is our answer that we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard about Jesus? Are we spending time with Jesus so our lives reflect him? Is our foundation built on Jesus Christ or on the fading things and accomplishments of this world? What is our foundation built on? So let's finish up in Acts 4, starting back in verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. All of these people had witnessed a miraculous healing. They had witnessed an incredible miracle and they were praising God for what had happened. I think it's interesting that they note the man's age, but I think it helps us understand some of the significance of this miracle. Because it's not like he, he was a young child or even in his youth. He had spent more than four decades unable to walk. And through faith, he was healed. That's so incredible. I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of boldness that Peter and John had. And I want people to take note of the fact that I have been with Jesus. Not because it's going to make me look good, because it's, but because it's going to bring him glory. It's not about me. It's all about him. And I need to remember that when I try and live in my own power and strength, that that means I'm building my foundation on myself. And that's just going to crumble. 
But I need to be building my foundation on Jesus Christ. So I would ask you the same. Do we have boldness like Peter and John? Do people take note that we have been with Jesus? Is our foundation built on the rock, on Jesus, or on the sand of what we can achieve? As I was, you know, kind of figuring out how to pull this all together, and I love, like, application. And I started thinking, so how do, we, how do we do this? What does it mean to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And what does it mean, and what do we need to do so others notice that we've been with Jesus? I think the answer is somewhat simple. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to read our Bibles. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to invest in community. We need to find other people to hold us accountable of the whether or not we've actually touched our Bible today. We need to serve. We need to get connected in the body of Christ. We are built for community. We need Jesus, but we also need each other. Now I know life feels so turned upside down and it has for so long. And I think many of us are still navigating how to re-enter the world after a really traumatic experience. But I don't know about you. I think we, I know I did and I think a lot of us did get really comfortable relying on ourselves. We literally had to isolate ourselves from other people. And it got easy to just take care of things by yourself because we literally, there was like space separating us from our people. And in turn, I know for me that that bled into not just the, taking care of the physical things for myself and my family, but it also impacted my willingness to be vulnerable and real, to share about the struggles that I have. But can I tell us, it is time for us to embrace one another again in all of our imperfections and to love with a Christ-like love. Because when we love one another well, it shows that we've been with Jesus. And may others take note of our time with Jesus through our love and our care and our actions for others. What could your TV show pop-up be? I got to benefit from the community that God blessed me with that day. The fact that someone else knew something that I really liked and invited me along for the ride. How can we look for ways to care for one another, to serve one another, to include one another, and to do life on life again with each other? 
there are so many ways that we can do this. And there are ways that we can still do this safely and within your own comfort zone. There are so many opportunities to serve right here in our church. I mean, there's children's, youth, a choir. There's, a, I mean, there's like meet and greet next Sunday, right? Is it next? It's next Sunday, right? I'm going to steal all your announcements. You want me to do announcements real quick? <laughs> but, I mean, you could start, like, meet and greet. That's one Sunday. That's not that hard. We have to be willing to get back out there, to be vulnerable, to be real, to connect with each other. But it's got to come out of the time that we spend with our Lord and Savior so we can love each other like he loves us. There are so many practical, tangible things that we can do to love and serve each other well. But I think we have to come out of our isolation bubble and start looking at what it means to love and serve each other well again to connect, and to love out of the overflow of love that Jesus shows us. May we be people who build our foundation on Jesus Christ so that our entire being, just like a building, ties back into him. So that when we go out into the world, that people take note that we have been with him. Not because it's going to make us look good, but because it's going to bring him glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth that we have read about in your word. God, thank you for um, the example of Peter and John and the boldness that they had. God, may we be people who have that type of boldness. But may it be because our foundation is built on you, we spend time with you. And God, you grow us and you change us and you sanctify us. May our lives reflect your character because we have been with you and we know you. We will never know what to emulate if we don't know deeply and personally the God who changed and saved us. I pray this in your name. Amen.